0: Hi, everybody. My name is Rigby Wallace, and I serve on the leadership team of Common Ground Church. Allow me, late in January, uh, to wish you a fantastic uh, 2021 on behalf of Sue and myself. I get the privilege to wrap up this series of First Things First, which really is about what we're putting first, what we're putting as the major priorities of how we launch into this year. And I'm really excited about this kind of wrap-up talk. So we've covered uh, putting at the center as a high priority the work and the word of Jesus. Uh, We've looked at developing a culture of honor, which is like high relational health in our tribe and in our relationships. We looked at uh, defiant joy, even in the face of uh, uh, adversity And last week, uh, Luke led the charge on holy ambition as something that uh, uh, leans strongly into this kind of climax talk. In no way is it better than the others. It's just the rounding off talk. Uh, Jesus said that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things will be added along with that which is another way of echoing C.S. Lewis or C.S. Lewis echoing Jesus' words. Uh, When we put first things first, secondary things become way, way better. I want to speak to you uh, on what I think is God's high priority for us in common ground as Christ followers and as citizens of this great city. Uh, I want to speak to you on God, His agenda for us is restoring Uh, to us an overcoming spirit. So, of course, to make this talk a little more interesting, I'm borrowing from uh, John Tyson's talk on this passage we're going to unpack. He leads a church in New York City. And uh, uh, we're going to launch into a little Bible quiz. Who are the following guys? I want you to get those uh, uh, memory uh, capacities active now. Who is Shamua? Who is Shaphat? Those of you pregnant and looking to have some babies, here are some options Palti, Gadil, Gadi, Amil, Sether, Nabi, Guel. Ten names there. Well, we just heard of the ten names of those twelve spies that. Uh, Moses sent to spy out the promised land along with uh, Joshua and Caleb. Let's uh, get a read on who exactly they were. In Numbers 13 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran all of them were leaders of the Israelites I want you to bank that all of them all 12 were leaders but isn't it interesting that we don't name our kids after the first 10 but Joshua and Caleb those are the names we want to name our sons so let's read this amazing story Uh, In verse 17 of chapter 13, when Moses sent them out uh, uh, of the land of Canaan, he told them, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether its people are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land where they live good or bad? Are the cities where they dwell open camps or fortifications? Is the soil fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous and bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob toward Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talma, the descendants of Anak, dwelled. It had been built seven years before Zohan in Egypt. And when they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. Some of you are salivating right now as you imagine this, which they carried on a pole between two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. And because of the cluster of the grapes the Israelites cut there, the place was called the Valley of Eshkol. After 40 days, the men returned from spying out the land, and they went back to Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave this account to Moses We went into the land to which you sent us, and indeed it is flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit. Nevertheless, the people living in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified. We've even seen the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we must go and take possession of the land. We can certainly overcome it or conquer it. But the men who'd gone up with him replied about the land they'd spied on. The land we explored devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there are great in stature. We even saw the Nephilim there and the descendants of Anak that came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we must have seemed the same to them. Chapter 14, and then the whole congregation lifted up their voices and cried out. And that night the people wept. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us back into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children become plunder. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down before the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the whole congregation of Israel, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly, is a, an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, for they will be like bread for us. Their protection is removed, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone Joshua and Caleb. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the Israelites at the tent of meeting. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me and despise all the signs I have performed among them? And now God is really displeased. He's about to discipline and chastise and and judge his people. And Moses goes into fervent prayer and intercedes. And God stays his hand of judgment. And verse 20 says, I've pardoned them as you request, the Lord said. Yet as surely as I live and as surely as the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, not one of the men who have seen my glory and the signs are performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, Yet have tested me and disobeyed me these ten times. Not one will ever see the land that I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have treated me with contempt will see it. Contempt will see it. But because of my because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he has entered, and his descendants will inherit it. God, I'm asking you through your most holy word to get our attention, to coach our hearts, to renew our minds, to strengthen our faith. Won't you speak to us by the power of your Spirit for the glory of your name? Amen. So, folk, in 2021, as we move toward whatever's out there, it still represents, might I? suggest our personal and collective inheritance. And Caleb stands tall for all of us in our moment of history as a man described as having a different spirit. He is so remarkable. And in a sense, as we study his life, some components of his life, he provides us with what I call a curriculum for overcoming. 1 Corinthians 10 says, all those Old Testament stories, this long one that we've read today, are written down as examples and as warnings for us upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. In other words, that stuff back there is for us right now in 2021 Cape Town. We'd be very wise to lean, lean in. So commentators have summarized this whole report from the 10 spies versus the two spies as competing reports and competing responses. Some have suggested the 10 spies brought a bad report whilst Joshua and Caleb returned with a good report. Now, after reading this passage many, many times, I'm wanting to humbly suggest that there may be a more accurate summary of what's going down there, and I'm going to put it to you. And we'll get to what it's all about by asking this question. What was so bad about their bad report? And what was so good about Joshua and Caleb's good report? Think about it, friends, carefully. Surely it's not a simple contrast between something negative or positive. Surely it's not just about outlooks on life, one inferior, the other superior. Surely it's not a simple contest between the gloomy pessimists and the sunny optimists. If that were the case, then my role this morning would be like a motivational speaker trying to hype you up and get you more positive about our COVID-ravaged situation here in Cape Town, here in South Africa, and the many, many giants that are out there as we scan the future. So what's so good about the Good Report? And we need a bit of a drum uh, roll here. And what's so bad about the bad report? Hmm, I've got you waiting. You're saying to me, get it out, tell us. It's simply and truly remarkable when you see it. And I want to put it, you can change your life today. And it's beginning to change my life over the last couple of weeks. For Joshua and Caleb in particular, Caleb stands out. A good report is simply a God report. God is at the center of Caleb's report and his report is informed by the historical promise of God promising this land as an inheritance. God's prophetic promise anchors him. And when he sees the giants and the the impending battles, he sees guaranteed victory. And dear friends, Caleb punches a hole in history not because his report differed that radically from the, from the 10. They both saw the giants. They both both said it was a good land flowing with milk and honey. The difference was Caleb's unwavering confidence about God's goodness, God's promises, his graciousness to give them what he had promised them way back through that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was always a land waiting before them. And they are now at the brink of inheriting. For the 10, the first thing to go in their report was God. The good report was a God-filled report or a God report. The bad report was a godless report. As a matter of fact, when you scratch through all the the various voices and commentaries in this passage, the various uh, bits of feedback, you'll see that the 10 spies who brought the negative report or the bad report were actually bringing a godless report. They only mentioned God once. And yes, you guessed it right. There was nothing positive about that they were suspicious of God. They said, he should have just killed us in Egypt instead of taking us now into this promised land. He's setting us up. He's about to decimate us. They falsely accused God. Their view of God, their view of themselves and their view of the future was incredibly, incredibly despairing for Moses and Aaron, for uh, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua. And so we can look at quickly five life-giving ways that capture the different spirit that Caleb lived in. And we need to hear it for ourselves personally. We need to hear it for our families. We need to hear this for common ground as we move into this year full of uncertainty but God's still waiting in our future and God still has an inheritance and God still wants the gospel to go out and God still wants to call people to himself and God still wants to plant churches. He still wants us to make disciples. There's no backing off. There's no backing down. There's still a glorious future. The first thing I want you to see about Caleb is he had a different perspective. The 10 spies had a wrong view of God. They had a wrong view of the land. They had a wrong view of themselves everyone saw the giants and the uh, and the uh, opposition everyone saw their own inadequacy and the danger but Caleb says we can surely do it because he saw God at the center of the story he saw God as a present and personal reality for himself and for Israel in that moment is that going to be true of us in 2021 have we centered, have we surrendered our, our confidence in god over the season of uh, are we battle weary was a time to hear the encouragement of the scriptures caleb quieted the people before the lord and said let us go up and once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it, to overcome it he captures his high view of God. Somebody once said, uh, don't look at the circumstances in front of you. Look at the miracles behind you. If God can bring us out of Egypt, Caleb is suggesting, then these giants and these fortified cities don't stand a chance. And folk, what God's giving is worth fighting for. He had tasted the grapes. He has seen the potential blessing waiting for him. As a matter of fact, the 10 spies uh, were so negative, they got into what I call the grasshopper syndrome. You say, what does that mean, Rigby? Uh, it's, it's where they exaggerate everything to an unhealthy extreme. They should have known that they had been promised victory. In fact, later, in the later, we discover in Joshua that the inhabitants of the land, when they eventually do conquer these giants and cities, were terrified of the Israelites. When Joshua sent spies to Jericho, Rahab told them, a great fear of you has fallen on us. So we who are living in the country are melting in fear because of you. And if that's not enough, way back when they crossed the Red Sea, the spies should have known some of the songs that were sung by Miriam and the like. The people of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. But they got slack. These leaders, these ten leaders, these tribal leaders got slack. And they were guilty of what is called an attribution error. They assumed that others felt as they did. They said we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so were we in theirs. Now they could make the first claim. We are grasshoppers in our own eyes. But they were entitled to make the second claim. They knew how they felt, but they had no idea how the giants and the people of that uh, land felt. And they were, fa- they, they were terrified of the Canaanites, but failed to see that in God, they actually were a majority. So first thing we notice is that, uh, is that Caleb had a different perspective. The second thing I want you to see is he had a different obedience. And these other points are a little shorter. But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, that term wholeheartedly is repeated five times, I will bring him into the land uh, he entered and his descendants will inherit it. I love that part. The promise is I've got blessing for you, Caleb, and not just for you, your descendants are gonna be in on the act. And this term followed God fully really means he was filled with pursuing. His heart was so set on following God that he didn't have any room for options or competing choices. He was wholehearted. He didn't have an undivided heart. And I know for many of us, when we think of obedience, we think like of sin management or moralism and we need to overcome sin. There's no doubt about that. But the thing about Caleb, the the real giants for him was overcoming unbelief, overcoming the, the, the counter-narrative of his day. And what we see about his wholeheartedness is that his heart was under the scepter of God. Don't think rules. He was under the rule of God, the gracious, loving rule of God. It's not about moralism. It's a heart for God's leadership in his life. And he was surrendered to that. Caleb shows us too when you truly see God as he is, Then you're going to love God as he is. Then you'll obey God as he is. And you'll want to please God as he is. The third thing we notice is not just a different perspective and not just a different obedience, but he had a different influence. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to to overcome it. In 13 and verse 30. And then later on he says, and I brought him, uh, Moses, back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt. You've got a man bringing massive God-centered conviction and you've got others scaring the pants off. Did I just say pants off? He just got everybody ridiculously fearful as they melted in fear. Some of the bad leadership takes people south. Good leadership takes people north. I want you to notice he brought a report, and this is what shapes our influence, according to his convictions. My dear, there is such wonder in that term. My friend, the reason we're going to make it in 2021 is because God is at the center, and as we expose ourselves to his word, as we're infused with the life of his spirit, we are banking, growing, deepening, God-exalted, faithful convictions. Have you surrendered yours? Are there too many other louder voices, bad report stuff, godless narratives? I think God's wanting early on in this year to get us back first things first. We need to be men and women and churches and a movement in our city of conviction. We need statesmen who will stand tall, not like these 10 guys who backed off in fear. You see, Joshua and Caleb were the stewards of what I call a minority report. The other guys had the majority report. But here's the deal. You can be in the minority and be 100% right and you can have God in the midst of the story. And that's exactly what it's like as we live at our faith in Cape Town and in this moment in history, we're living in contested space and God's calling us to man our God report. God's calling us to be men and women of conviction. Caleb, the statesman, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses and said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. How did the people respond to his cry? Let's go, let's go, let's go. All night they wailed saying, woe is us. Fervently Caleb and Joshua appealed to the crowd. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. They take people to God. They remind him that this is his promising, uh, his promise. They weren't prepared to fear the voice of the dissenters. Almost the entire nation was backing off what God was calling them to. But Caleb was committed to going in a different direction. Was he stubborn? Was he reckless? Was he divisive? No. He saw what was at risk and he saw the great price they would pay and he sought to influence Uh, this remnant uh, Godward. He wanted to take them north. Now, there are three kinds of people in any church, in any family, in any business in our world that uh, bring negative influence. John Tyson talks about the jerk. Now, folk, none of them are in our rooms today, but the jerk is the disruptor, always just disrupting things. Then there's the slacker, doesn't pull their weight, doesn't contribute is parasitical. Grace flows to them, not away from them, but they slack. They don't, they don't apply themselves to the task, and that creates delays. And then there's the downer, the person who's always sort of sad sackish and, uh, and, and draws everybody into meeting their, their needs. Vision shrinks, and there's distraction. All of this causes morale, to be diluted and to collapse even at times. But here's the good news. Just one God-filled person with conviction can turn that around, and that's what he's doing uh, as he raises his voice, as he tries to silence the doubters. And As we come into the last two, fourthly, what I love about Caleb is that he had a different perseverance Notice this, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, that's 40 days, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity, 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. Oh, my dear. Fear of God should come upon us. There are consequences for unbelief and rebellion. For every day they spied out the land. There was a year of being in the wilderness. And God himself had shut down their return to Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Can you believe it? And he slammed the door on Canaan too. And they went into the wilderness for 40 years. Listen carefully. What's so different about Caleb? He had a different perseverance. When Caleb went there, God had said to him, I'm going to bring you and your descendants in. You're going to have to wait out the 40 years. What a beautiful model of endurance and perseverance. His his personal promise would be fulfilled when God eventually brought the whole nation into the land. So he waited not just for the Lord, but he waited on the Lord in that time. Caleb spent 40 years burying his friends who were dying in the wilderness, but not just that, he spent 40 years leading the next generation in his clan to follow God. With a whole heart? Or would you be, in the modern day context, some of those who are so disappointed, so disillusioned, we get old and bitter, we set up Twitter accounts, we, uh, we're purveyors of all the false uh, uh, conspiracy theories and the fake news? Or can we be like uh, Caleb and say, can have, if it hasn't happened yet, God's about to do it? Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean God's not at work in a powerful way. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. Christ is with us as we go through difficulty, and Christ, by the Holy Spirit, pours out uh, this, this fruit of the Spirit's empowering perseverance. We can make it through all kinds of difficulty. But let me just say this. Sue and I and other leaders, we've heard of some of the great challenges that so many of you are facing. But we can do no more than encourage you to more and more toward the God-centered story and toward that beckoning horizon that God promises, maybe with some bruising and some terrible hardship along the way. But let's wrap up by this fifth point. All of those first four He had a different perspective. He had a different obedience. He had a different influence. And he had a different perseverance. All this led to a different inheritance. I love it. If you read it, just for the sake of time, go and read it in Joshua chapter 14. At the age of 85, he took on the hill country Of Hebron, and even after he had taken the hill country of Hebron, he was asking for an enlarged inheritance. It's a story of long haul overcoming faith. And I want to call us in this year to a God centered, Bible saturated, Spirit empowered, Christ exalting story. We need to take our place in that and in the mission of God here in Cape Town. And here's the good news. We have a different spirit who indwells us now. We don't want Caleb's spirit. We want the Holy Spirit. And this spirit is reorientating us even now in our disappointments toward the Son to a new orientation around the sun as Copernicus discovered, we are not planets orbiting around the uh, sun or the sun is not orbiting around our little planetary worlds and and galaxies. No, all of that is orbiting around the S-U-N and we're having to learn by the spirit's power to orbit around Christ. The spirit we have is better than Caleb. He's the one who, who gives us a richer, deeper sense of perspective because we're living on this side of the cross. He calls us and empowers us to a richer and fuller obedience. He commissions us to a deeper influence and he roots us in a maturing perseverance. I wanna ask you and challenge you today as we land in prayer that if God is not backing off, if God is not backing down, if God still uh, through his son uh, is at work in the world in profound ways, ours is to partner, ours is to participate, ours is to believe, ours is to be an overcoming people in this amazing year, which is an open canvas before us. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, I want to thank you for the privilege of preaching your word I'm going to ask you to pour out grace on us as we hear this. Won't you whisper to every uh, uh, life? Won't you whisper to us that particular uh, area that you want to get our attention? Lord, forgive us if we've drifted into a kind of a functional atheism where we claim to believe so much about God, but it's not at the center. It's not informing our, dis- our choices and decisions. It's not shaping our character. It's not helping us to be different. It's not calling us north in the southbound world. Won't you renew our orbit around God, around His Son, around the Spirit, around the Scriptures, around the mission of God. Won't you comfort your people, those who are struggling with loss and grief in any area. But Lord, we want to give ourselves to you wholeheartedly. We want to be a different spirit of people. We want to be an overcoming people. We want to be people that'll bring you much glory. Christ's name. Amen. Such a privilege. Have a great week.